0: Hello, everybody. We are not going to be talking about Game of Thrones today. How about them apples?
1: As in (laughs) big apples?
0: As in big apples. As in the greatest city in the world. The greatest city in the world. This is Jenny Josephson. Uh, I'm here with Anthony Lemos and Richard Gunther, and we are going to talk about the musical Hamilton. Which, as you know, recently appeared as a fully filmed production, not just like camcorder on stage, but like nine cameras, jibs, cranes, uh, audience shot, like the whole thing on Disney Plus. So we're going to talk about it in the way that we used to talk about Game of Thrones. We're going to talk about it extensively and discursively and non-linearly and all (laughs) sorts of fun things. And... Uh, when we pass out, we'll stop. All right now, I want to say, uh, luckily, this mimics other properties that we've talked about, in which one of us was born in on Manhattan Island and has seen like a lot of Broadway musicals, and got to see not the original cast because I was not that rich. Uh, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> Still uh, I I did eventually get to see Hamilton on Broadway twice. One time I took my mom. We have Anthony, who, uh, explain your level here. What's your level of Hamiltonia?
1: I have listened to the album approximately 500 billion times. Mm Mm-hmm. That's that's roundabout, uh, plus or minus three. And I have seen the musical on video now two and a half times. And I'm about to watch it again today.
0: Oh, yeah. I, I tried to squeeze in a viewing before, but it did not happen. Thank you, Home Depot. Okay, and Richard, again! Richard Gunther has his own unique uh, level that he's bringing to this musical, which is so invaluable. Richard?
2: Yeah, which is that I know nothing. Well, not nothing. That's that's not fair. But prior to the airing of Hamilton on Disney+, Plus, I had never seen it. I had never really talked with anyone extensively about it, so i didn't get impressions from people other than the fact that everybody apparently loves it. Just kind of, that's a thing. And I tried listening to the album, but generally this is not my typical kind of music that I would listen to. And without the context or the personal interest in the music, it just didn't catch me. So yeah. And now I'm excited to talk about it because now I have context.
0: Hey. Um okay, I want to just start with a level set cuz that's a really interesting point that you raised, which is uh Richard, what is your level of hip hop and rap enthusiasm, knowledge, context? Uh all answers welcome here.
2: It, my my level of enthusiasm for hip hop hip hop and rap is uh it, it, it would be hard to quantify it, because I don't think there's a negative scale necessarily, but <laughs> I, I mean, my normal listen is like country music and heavy orchestral scores. Okay. This is just not at all my, like the, the type of thing that I would normally listen to.
0: Okay. Anthony, where do you lie?
1: I follow the 80% rule, which means I like 80% of any type of music I listen to. It's the extreme 20% that I don't like. So when it comes to hip-hop or hip-hap and rock, I think, as as Richard put it, (laughs) I... I
2: fixed it. I fixed it.
1: I, I, I know all the popular stuff. I know some of the underlying stuff. I did grow up in Southern L.A., or yeah LA county in in the late 80s early 90s so the Ooh. NWA and, and scene and things like that like I'm all pretty fluent on that um but I wouldn't call myself an aficionado like I'm I'm okay. well versed but not like I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't make a video essay on rap I watch okay. video ep- essays on rap but I wouldn't make one
0: And I Jenny Josephson grew up in the aforementioned New York City and went to a summer camp in Bucks County Pennsylvania and all the New York City kids went there too. And so my experience with hip hop was not, there was not a thriving hip hop scene on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, but there was in the Bronx and there was in Brooklyn and yeah. Queens, obviously, not so much Staten Island. So mine was reflected knowledge and context off of people who deeply cared about it. Right. So, like, all around me were like hip hop heads and, like it was the music we danced to at summer camp and it was all just absorbing but it was like it would take a, a very specific song or two it didn't feel like it was not for me but it was always on the radio like and it was just like a thing i absorbed the way you absorb like television shows you were watching as a kid it's just all right. in there and so every once in a while it just pops up or i watch a documentary and um it's there and then like I get fascinated with it. Matt and I get, like, fascinated with it as writers because the the lyrical complexity, the internal rhyming, the things that's going on in hip-hop and rap are so profound from a writing perspective and also just from a sheer, like, volume of truth-telling perspective. So my knowledge is, like, adjacent but writing-focused.
2: So the, what you were just saying about the rhyming, I think, is one of the things that... I and I, I realized this as I was watching Hamilton. One of the things that I think I have a problem with the internal rhyming really makes me crazy. Like when when we learned poetry in college, I think it was, and we spent some time learning about different styles of, of poetry in literature. Like the whole idea that something wasn't perfectly metered and and ended in the rhyme and just that's how a poem was kind of messed with my head and my OCD. And so like that, that type of thing, when I hear it, it, it almost seems like cheating, but then you hear it done well, like in this production and it just blew my mind in a really good way.
0: Okay. So, That leads us to a very nice segue into overall first impressions of this filmed product that we just all watched and have watched and will watch probably a lot. Uh, Anthony.
1: (laughs) I had seen the cam version from the person in the audience holding their phone, having to duck it down every time the ushers came by and everything else. I had Cheat. seen many of the clips. I had basically absorbed anything legit on Hamilton I could find before this was even announced coming to Disney Plus. And now that I've seen it several times, I can say that one, the production value is absolutely amazing. Uh, I love the fact that they filmed it live in front of, a, well, they filmed it in front of a live studio audience twice a live theater audience i should say twice and then they took an extra turn to film the close-ups without the audience so they weren't cutting people off like they were considerate enough not to have cameras zooming in front of the audience like that's that's the level of care that this production has made and uh uh it, it was everything that i was hoping for the, the the facial expressions and the emotions and things that that the cast has and the placement of people on stage it adds so much more than the music could confer, and this is this is uh, after a year of working on this together. So their flow is very precise, and their uh, their they, you can tell that they know exactly what's going to happen next, even though to you it's a complete surprise because it's not even on the album. Like, this, not the lyrics or the songs aren't on the album. It's the way that it's done isn't the same as the album. The album is like a sanitized version of it. And this production was a well-grooved, well-fitted, well-worn chair that is just the most comfortable thing ever.
0: So let me ask you a question. Having listened to the soundtrack so many times, like me, so many times before you saw it on stage, did your mind... I had one level of disconnect, which was... I heard the original cast singing it, and then when I saw it on Broadway, it was a different cast. And so my brain had to go, right, and rejigger. And I noticed that in this production, the way that the cast did it, well, like a year after recording the original soundtrack, is different. They evolved. Their performance yes. evolved. Their, uh, the biggest difference I noticed was Leslie Odom Jr., who plays uh Aaron Burr, has almost a completely different live delivery than he does soundtrack delivery when yeah. you're in like perfect conditions and you get sweetened to the point of heavenly you know perfection and all of this stuff, and his enunciation on stage for all the incredibly difficult stuff he has to do in this Disney plus version is so precise that he's almost like you can see his mouth goes so wide and it's like, he's like chewing on the biggest piece of steak, but enunciating and, and because you're doing so much else to make sure the words don't get musha musha musha. It's incredible. Like I could listen to a song on the album and then a song on this Disney plus just to hear the difference and, and what, Doing all the physical activity and acting, really acting and thinking about it is is I love it. I loved it. That was my yeah. biggest area of fascination.
1: It I, in 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 certain fields, in the certain creative fields, this is where you would say that the live performance compared to the album performance, the live performance breathes. Yeah, it's got it, it grows, it shrinks, it it forms its own way, and but it it lives and it's this totally it's almost a different a different recording. It's almost a different album to be recorded. It's yeah the the timings are a little bit different. Um the music speeds up it slows down a little bit. Like, you know, uh, not during the song, but like some of the tempos are slightly different than the recorded version. And it's just amazing to see this done live. It's it's ridiculous.
0: Richard, overall we got a little we went a little deep. Uh but Come, let's back it out to what did you think having never seen Hamilton and having only like vague ripples of cultural context?
2: Right. So I, I watched it twice and the first time I actually ended up having to split it up over two nights. A lot. I wasn't expecting two hours and 40 minutes of having to pay significant attention to catch what's going on. And so I was kind of exhausted and had had enough after like the first hour. And, and unfortunately I think that gave me a bad reaction. I made it up through the intermission hmm. and, you know, cause I, after the first hour I'm like, okay, come on, I've got to stick with it and at least get to the intermission for, uh, to, before I take a break. And I, stepped away from it and then went back the next day. And I, I think I was refreshed and I felt better going into it. And I had some experience with how to do this, <laughs> how to enjoy this. And then really enjoyed the second half more, even though, frankly, I think some of the best music, some of the best scenes, some of the best blocking on stage is In the first act. Yep. So over the course of the week then, I was listening to pieces of the album, some of the album, and came to, you know, really think about those scenes more. And then last night, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to rewatch it. And I sat down and I watched it straight through. And really, I, I liked it so much more when I watched it the second time after having to pay attention the first time, then going back and enjoying the music. And now just kind of putting that all together Mm -hmm. in one sitting and one viewing.
0: Well, let me let you off the hook, right? This musical is almost as demanding as a Sondheim musical, right? So like, first of all, there's when you're just seeing it for the first time as a filmed experience, your brain is like, I don't know what to focus on. I need to listen to these lyrics like I've never listened to anything before in my life. And then I my mind wants to grasp the amazing, I want to think about the set and I want to look at the the revolving floor and I want to do all this stuff. And let me tell you, it is not easy. So you almost have to take it in chunks, especially if you haven't been like obsessively listening to the soundtrack because just, Keeping up with a revolutionary ab- manumission abolitionist, you are just like, wait, <laughs> I have to think about this for twenty minutes, right, and we're already right. five lines later. Like, right? It is not an e- It's not. It does not. It ain't no f-ing cats. Let's put it, it that way.
1: Yeah. It, it also it also is more dense than any other musical. So if this was stretched out to the Broadway average for for words per minute, it would yeah. be over five hours long. Yeah. Like it's got double the words that most other musicals have condensed down to about the same time frame. And yeah. it, so it's very lyrically dense. And Lin Manuel Miranda doesn't spend any time with exposition. Like anytime there's someone giving a narrative of any sort, it's really just three or four lines setting the scenes for what's going to be an amazing song right here. So,
0: mm-hmm. I mean, there. It is an almost completely sung musical, like in the pantheon of musicals that are. There's like plays that have music. There are like balletic musicals where it's just like, and then there's this which is just like, it's like we start and nobody stops singing until the end, right? So let's do like a little bit of just like the songs that knocked you back and and my. You can do this in any way you want, which is like the choreography of the song knocked me back. The words of the song knocked me back. Like, whatever it is where you were just like, it, it, focusing on the Disney Plus version, I was just gobsmacked. Richard.
2: Yeah, so I, I, I actually thought about this a little bit before we recorded. There are three songs in this, and this is probably not going to be a surprise because of the style of these songs, but they're There are three songs in this that I like the most. The first, which one could argue is the most musically dense, almost orchestral, is Satisfied. Mm -hmm. I love that song. That is probably my favorite from the entire thing. Between, Between the music itself and the way the song does this retell of the scene you just saw and tells you what's happening behind like how did we get to that like they do this rewind and when it, when that was happening like i kind of immediately knew oh my god they're doing a time thing here what's going on and then and you get back to that time again and i'm like holy crap that was so freaking cool
1: i i've i'd listened to the album probably 30 or 40 times literally 30 or 40 times before actually listening to it all the way through nonstop, like just just start to finish. Like, you know what? I'm tired of mm-hmm. picking and choosing songs, skipping around, having it on random. I heard that song, and I'd heard it probably you know, 20 times before that. I had to stop over, pull off from the side of the road because it came to the sudden realization that they were saying, the chorus was saying, rewind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, this changes this whole three-song set. All of this is different now. And then when you see that on stage, it's like, this makes so much sense live.
0: <laughs> I, I just yeah. want to paint the visual image of Anthony Lemos up there in hoodly diddly Alaska. Probably, maybe it's snowing, maybe it's not. In a truck, pulled over to the side of the road, listening to a Broadway musical, possibly in fatigues, going, Oh, my God, they're saying Rewind. <laughs> like, that's his musical impacts people everywhere, everywhere. Like, Matt Flanagan, my husband, who had not heard it, had no context, would hear me with the soundtrack, and he got into it from King George, right? Like, he just loved the lyricality of that. And I have to say, those those three, as the comedic set pieces of Hamilton, are really high up there in our house. Mm-hmm. Oh,
2: absolutely. Uh, and I love Jonathan Groff. So, and oh. and it, I did not know that he was in this. It was such a surprise um, to yes. see him in this, and he was so good.
1: So he, here's a here, quick tidbit. I've got tons of these, by the way. Jonathan Groff <laughs> had already moved on from Hamilton and came back just for these three performances so that it would be the original Broadway cl- uh, cast.
2: Awesome.
0: Yeah.
1: So when when he comes out the first time, and uh, you... Is it You'll Be Back? Um, yes. The reason the crowd goes so crazy is because he was not expected to be there until the playbill printed that night.
2: Got it.
0: Yeah. It's pretty awesome. Um Okay, so other favorites. Uh, Richard, I really yeah. want to wanna so dig in here.
2: My second favorite is My Shot. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason that that's my favorite is because the rise up refrain from that weaves throughout this entire thing. And it, I think that's, that's done very cleverly. And it's, it's also his piece. Like that's his anthem.
0: They call I, it an, I want song. It's an, I, I want, want song? And you have to, in every book, movie musical, you have to have the moment where the hero is like, I want yep. this.
2: Hmm. Yep. Yep, that makes sense. So I, I love that, and then my third favorite is uh, "You'll Be Back." Uh, really, all three of those yeah. because they're really just the next refrain or the you know the next verse of each one. I loved the performance of it. I, I loved his literal foaming at the mouth while he was singing it. Uh-huh. I, I, I loved this the silliness of it and and the the robotic da 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 da. You know, it was was so, so well-delivered, so fun, and just also a really catchy melody. Yep.
0: Amazing. Okay, Anthony, go for it.
1: The first song that caught me was The Room Where It Happens. Mm -hmm. It it just, it has a flow to it. It's got some of the rap. It's got a little bit of... uh, almost a, a jazz to it, some, some blues, some down country. It's got the banjo kicks in there. Like It's got all the different things that to bring you to this musical are in the room where it happens. And that's the song that I was introduced to, and that's the one that got me. And then after that, um, my the, the one that's impacted me the most, that I think about the most, that drives me the most, is the song that took the longest to write on this entire uh, soundtrack, and that's My Shot. It took him over a year to write this one song and it shows it's so deep, it's so powerful. And in today's political environment, if you can't look in that song and find something to connect with something going on in the world, you're you're having issues.
0: Like <laughs> <laughs> you're not paying attention.
1: Right, right. Um and then there, there are so many others that I could, I could name, but the one that that it, I, I can't, I can't listen to this song and not just feel the overall depth and and overwhelming uh, uh, feels of this entire musical, and that's the final track: "Who Lives, Who Dies, Who Tells Your Story." Mm. It's every time if I hear any part of that, it just it the, like the feels just fire up. <laughs> um it's so so deep. what about you jenny
0: so good so good all right so my three are i'm taking uh the king out of it because that's really matt's favorite although i i just love it but it's like his favorite uh so my three are yorktown yeah. right
1: okay mm-hmm.
0: which i just like uh, i love it, there's so much going on, and any other musical would have ended right after that. And the balls on this guy to put two more songs in a musical before the act break, like, and have it work, mm. like, and not send you <laughs> foaming at the mouth out into the the lobby because you were like, "That just happened!" Oh my god! But to like ease you down still in the first act um, is so amazing. I. I love, this is a weird one. It's like a deep cut one, but I love the election of 1800. Mm -hmm. Because like, and I often, because it's so emotionally draining, like I will, when I listen to the soundtrack, stop after the room where it happened, skip to the election of 1800. Because there's only so many times in a listen that I can like devastate with the whole like Hamilton family tragedy. So like the election of 1800 is just so brilliant. And the way that narrative unfolds over these songs is, is so great. They do a whole election in a song and I just love it. And then, okay, here's, I'm going to do a dirty trick and Richard not going to like it, but it's important Uh, there. I don't know that you have gotten to the musical experience yet. That is the Hamilton mixtape, which has, more songs on it than have appeared in the musical. But I urge you to go check it out, and in particular a song called Ben Franklin's song, Benjamin Franklin's song. Because it is the one song I really wish was in the musical, and I totally think they could not have crammed another G.D. song into the first act, and that's fine. But it's basically a song sung by Benjamin Franklin, who only appears once in the musical. That was the plan from france and it's like a like an irish rock band song and it's unlike anything else in the show and basically the lyric is because i'm benjamin franklin and it's just all a thing about why ben franklin was like important and awesome so that to me is one of my favorites Uh, i highly recommend going to listen to it and i wish i I think about it in my mind's eye how they would have staged it and but it, it doesn't fit it's just awesome So Mm -hmm. anyway, those are my three. I know that's a weird choice.
2: Cool. Cool. I like it.
0: So let's talk about the look, the feel, the cast, right? Like, look, there's a lot going on. In some ways, this is a, a bro musical all the way through and through. And then in some ways, it's not, right? Like, it's got these strong female leads. They don't, like, so much totally pass the Bechdel test. Uh, but what are you going to do? It is a musical called Hamilton. Uh, and do you know what the Bechdel test is, by the way? Uh, I do not. It's a test in any movie or TV show or anything where you can judge whether women are actually represented by whether they talk about if if two women are having a conversation in a movie and they are not talking about a man, it passes the Bechdel test. Oh,
2: Okay. Right. And this
0: movie does not pass the Bechdel. It's fine. It's fine, you know. Like that was the time, and it's about this guy. But uh, you know, the cast is so profoundly good, and I think if you had to just put my arm in a vise and say you have to pick two favorite cast members, and this would be hard. It would probably be Devi Diggs who played uh, Lafayette and Jefferson. And then uh, Renee Elise Goldberry, who played uh, Eliza. and But again, then I would tell you six reasons why I was wrong. Uh, Anthony, who are your faves? Philip Sue. Yeah.
2: Um, who, who plays? I assume I don't know who everybody is. Come on. She plays Eliza. Okay.
0: I'm sorry. I was wrong. Uh, Renee Elise Goldberry
1: uh, plays Angelica.
0: Angelica. I yeah. ugh, um, Space Cadet.
1: And the V digs because he adds so much to his performance. He's so active. Like he, and the fact that he, he changes accents four times in, in the musical. Like he starts with a very French, very heavy French accent. that can't even get the words right. Moves on to more of a blend. And then at the end, he's almost, he's got like a French twinge on his English. And then he switches over to Jefferson who has almost more of a, a deeper voice. Like it's, it carries more, you know, it's it, it just, yeah, he's just, he's amazing in this. And uh, he and Philippa Su, like, Pippa just, she just rocks it. Every time she's on stage, you have to pay attention to her. And I, I love that.
0: How fast could you say, sir, he knows what to do in a trench, ingenuitive and fluent in French? What? <laughs> <laughs> like, and he has to do it while, like, just after jumping off a table. Like, it blows my he has yeah. david diggs has the fastest most jam-packed lines in this entire musical without question like he is in
1: in, in broadway history
0: in, well also yes <laughs> but like oh i just my mind just boggles at it just boggles uh richard your cast members of choice
2: yeah so i am going to preface this by um <laughs> and I don't know if this will surprise you or not, but uh, your, your respective picks, I actually did not like his performance and it's, it's more the type or the way he played the character, I think, than the delivery, like his delivery of the, of what he was seeing was amazing. It was mind boggling. He was extraordinary in it. What I had a problem with was the almost like the sarcastic body language, the, the raggedy doll uh, kind of prancing around. I, I, and I get that he was portraying like he was trying to portray arrogance to some extent because you know, Jefferson. But I, I didn't, it, it, I think the raggedy doll motion bothered me more than anything else. I really disliked that for some reason. Um, I didn't, I, I didn't really get the point of it. And it, it, it bugged me. My two people, uh, and the woman who played Angelica, uh, I think, she Renee was yeah. I, I think her voice is amazing. Uh, I think she's beautiful. I think her, when she was on stage, was always really powerful. And, um, and I know this is a, a punt, but Lynn and well, I, I mean, I, I have really never seen him, well, certainly never seen him sing. And I had, not really seen him perform in anything except like random, random stuff. And so his like, I could like, I hurt his hurt in some scenes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And it's really interesting. Cause he is like, if you take Lin-Manuel Miranda, the writer, like there's nothing anyone could say. I mean, people do, they, they, There is a funny little strain of Hamilton criticism out there, which is A, valid, and B, hilarious, right? Where uh, my favorite one ever was in a, weirdly like a pretty high-profile magazine. I forget which one. It was either like The Atlantic or something where the writer was like, my boyfriend says Lin-Manuel Miranda's raps are basic. And I'm just like, you do it. Uh, (laughs) Sure, yeah, compared to someone who has crafted three minutes of perfection, go do it for two hours and 40. Like, I don't know. I That one was, like, there's a lot of valid Hamilton criticism out there. That's not one of them. But as a performer, he is the, like, weirdly, of oh, that cast the weakest, just as a traditional Broadway performer. He, his voice does not have Broadway range. He's not so much an actor as, like, a, a motor, right? Like, he he's a writer doing really good performance. Let's put it that way. A writer did a really good performance as opposed to a performer performing writing. And there's a difference, but it doesn't matter, Mm. right? Like, it does not matter. Like, he is embodying this character. He's brought it to life. He is, like, perfection in it. Like, I I don't know. It's a really fascinating breakdown because nowhere else would that guy be the lead In a musical, musically, except for his own musical.
1: Right. Uh, Right. Something else to consider, and one of the reasons I'm not going to argue with you, Richard, is that, yes, I think Lin-Manuel Miranda is probably the weakest of the cast. The rest of them were hand-picked. He picked himself, you know? Yeah. Um, (laughs) But the reason that he's got more emotion is everyone on this cast, at the point of the recording of the video had been doing this for about two years. Some a little bit less, some a little bit more, but about almost a year off-Broadway, then a year on-Broadway before they actually recorded it. Lin-Manuel had been working on this for six years prior to off-Broadway. You know, he'd, he'd dived into these people's minds so many times before and tried to construct them and everything else. So it doesn't surprise me that he's got all the emotion on stage because... He's been in that role that long, so when it comes, to, comes time to to express it and share those emotions, if they don't come out then, then why is he on stage at all?
0: Yeah. Like, you <laughs> right.
1: know, he'd either emote or be gone. Like, that's kind of where you're at after eight years of working on, on the inner workings and inner thoughts and, and emotions of a character.
0: And also your entire life is attached to every, like, you know, the lyrics change for you when you have a son or a daughter, you know, like, like the, everything is more intense because little pieces of your memory are attached to like, when you wrote the lyric and who was with you. And like, so there's so much you can draw on that he draws on for his performance. Was there any moment of stagecraft that you're still thinking about? Because that, for the people who've listened to the soundtrack, that is the thing your eyes drink in the most, aside from the performances, oh, Richard, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll I, let you go
1: ahead on this one because I have so much to say.
2: <laughs> yeah, and and I'm, I mean, I was so excited and blown away. Uh, it, like their use of motion was just brilliant. Uh, the the way they used the turntable, either in whole or in segments, to. Transition be between moments in a scene, or between people in a dialogue, or even even to turn. I believe, if I remember correctly, in one or two cases to a new song or to a new scene. Mm-hmm. Just the the way they used that effectively, not not as in any way a gimmick, but really taking advantage of the benefit that that motion offered to the story and physical positioning of people in a scene and interaction and handoffs and stuff. I thought it was just absolutely amazing. It, it reminded me a lot. I don't know if any of you have ever seen any Cirque shows, but um, I don't know if, and, or if you know anything about the show Ka in Vegas, but they built a custom stage For this show, that is a platform on a central pivot, and the and the whole stage can pivot in like three hundred and sixty directions. It it, it's insane. It goes vertical at one point. It 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 can rotate. I mean, and they do all kinds of crazy. And it reminded me of just how they turned something that could be so gimmicky and, and turned it into something that was incredibly valuable to the way they told the story. I also was like, I was a stage crew guy in high school and I was a lighting guy in high school. And, and so like seeing all this stuff done just so well, I, I I absolutely loved it. The other thing I noticed, and this is just a really small detail is the use of the stairs Mm -hmm. and how the the stairs were actually movable portions of the set that they could reposition as they needed to for different purposes uh sometimes using to to um uh, intro and exit, other times just as part of the the placement of a person in a scene and area, I thought that was really, very cool,
1: yeah, yes, it, the modularity of it all. And I'll, I'll I'll add to the turntable, there are times, so anytime you see a play or see a musical or anything like that, conveying motion on a small stage is exceptionally difficult. Yeah. But they were able to have half of a song where the same people are walking together and they're actually walking, but they're not moving on stage. So conservation <laughs> of space with the, the, the three uh, Skyler sisters walking together... Towards right. the audience while singing, but they're in stationary in place because of that rotating floor. And something else is there have been people that pointed out anytime it's, it, the floor spins clockwise, you're getting progression. And when it spins mm. counterclockwise, you're getting regression.
2: Uh, so
1: something else to pay attention yes. to in the movie. Um,
2: <laughs>
1: there, the lighting is absolutely ridiculous. Between the water lights is what I'm going to call them. They're like the flickery blue lights that come down mm-hmm. during certain scenes. Mm-hmm. The water lights, you've got the backdrop lights. You've got lights underneath on the first floor that shine in. You've got the lanterns that come down. Did you guys notice the wall that comes down in the back? Mm-hmm. Between the first act and second act, there's actually a wall. Yep. The wall in the back is unfinished in the first act. And then the second act, a piece comes down to fill it in, to make it a whole wall back there. Like... The The thought processes of this entire stage, this entire production, just completely blow me away. It's so magical. And the way they move the props and they incorporate that with the choreography, I know that's a normal thing, but they do it so well that even though you're watching it, you don't really see it. You know? <laughs>
0: this This is the part where I just want to briefly interject and say, like, uh, Hamilton often is, like, solely credited to Lin-Manuel Miranda. He does a hilarious amount of work on this musical, but... Now's a good time to mention the director Tommy Kail, the guys who I always get confused Blankenbuehler and, and Lackamore, who did work on this. One's the choreographer, one's like the the music guy, and I and then then like the countless other set designers and costume designers and lighting designers and the band that plays live. Like like this is the time to acknowledge how much stage manager, how much work goes into a Broadway musical and they have to do it every night. Like there is a place where you can go like like um uh, the Playbill or Broadway.com or a place where you can read articles about like the day in the life of a stage manager at Hamilton and like what it's like to call 70 trillion lighting cues. And it really is like so much fun to really think about what's going on behind the scenes. And I think there are at least two pieces of additional material. You can find them if you look on the Hamilton thing. It'll be like suggested items. One was like a round table with the cast talking about like, what's it like to see Hamilton four years later, which is a valid thing we should talk about at some point. And then the other one is a thing with Robin Roberts. And then there's like a really bad version of it on Amazon. There's like a bad Hamilton documentary, (laughs) which is just like, pardon me, a bunch of like old, gay, white, Theater critics going for his next musical. I just want to see Lin Manuel Miranda try harder. And you're like, hey, <laughs> all the way. There's this is one guy. This one guy in particular who's just like, I just want to see him be more lyrical and melodious in his next musical. Is like son <laughs> of a bitch.
2: Does, does wow. he know what those Still words think mean? Think about
0: that in my like <laughs> like darkest hours where I'm just like, shut it up. Wow. <laughs>
2: I watched the Robin Roberts thing. I it was alright. It was I all mean, right. I didn't think it was all that all that exciting. A lot of a lot of softball questions and yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean there was some interesting insights from the actors, but it also drove me nuts that, you know, here are these and, and this is so this is typical to just watch any news show nowadays anymore. But, you know, you and Anthony and I look better to each other right now than many of those Broadway I know highly compensated actors looked on their own like cams in their homes. Come on. Guys, get a ring
0: light. Send them a ring light. <laughs> Just do it. Um you know and I I I really what I really want and I don't think they have put it out yet is basically the Mandalorian documentary of Hamilton yeah. which is like 8 episodes of excruciating detail about everything. Somebody's done it, but like it's not out yet. And I w- I, th- I would assume they're waiting for a lot of people to see this. That's what I really want because I want to know everything. And I, I I highly recommend to people buying the it's like 40 bucks. It's not cheap, but uh buying the libretto which has like a ton of detail written about what it t- took to bring Hamilton to the stage. For example, Richard, do you know where the first time is anyone really ever heard in a public setting, a song from Hamilton?
2: Um, I think I only know this from one of the documentaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, w- yes, it was president Obama,
0: the white house. Yes. The first time this cocky motherfucker sang a song from Hamilton was at the White House at a poetry night when he was supposed to be doing something from In the Heights. And he was like, instead, I think I want to drop this song. And (laughs) uh, he played Burr. And it was like rough and parts were different. But like, you can just see the room. Like, you never really see the room until the end. But like, you can just hear the room being like, moving. Like, you know when a silence moves from like, I don't know what I'm hearing, and this is weird to wait a second to oh my god, and then everybody just goes bananas and like, yeah, to start there and then have your next one be Lincoln Center's like night of whatever (laughs) that's incredible. So,
1: um, he brought Alex Lackamore with him to that to play the piano, and you can see how labored he was playing the piano because it was new and because it had different things that like it wasn't a a normal song. It was something completely different that he just wasn't familiar with. And you could tell they had just finished the original, the music for that song. (laughs) But you will will never see Alex Lacamoire that stressed out about a song ever again.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's just incredible. And then like, um, so this book basically details like the whole path and how they got the actors, but how they did the sets and like, Bringing it back to the sets, like I think a lot about about how much they did with wood and rope. Yes, right. The presentation just, like, of it, wood, the 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 rope, ah. chairs, tables, two desks, yep. like that. To me, the way they work with the props is incredible. Like these were writers, right? Like Hamilton was a writer above all else, and so the idea that a desk is almost like a character is just phenomenal. Yeah. All right, I'm opening the floor up. What do you want to say that we haven't covered yet?
2: <laughs> um, I have a couple things. So okay. you know, I, it's funny. I I went into this, and I had I felt like when I finished watching it the first time, I had so many um, just kind of almost hypothetical questions, like why, why, and how, right? Like what what would make anyone think that hey you know what i'm going to take this guy that probably anyone who's been through our typical grade school education system and and lack of accurate or thorough history telling or, or even consistent history telling for that matter uh and and that and take a character that people probably hardly ever talked about and make this story all about him. Oh, and I'm going to cast every single founding father as a person of color. I mean, how do you get there in your mind? It That just amazed me.
0: Oftentimes it's because you're a performer who's tried to get on Broadway as a person of color and found out just how few roles there are there and, and is in that context, like... And we'll get to more of this in a second, because this is my untethered thing. But um yeah, it's it's the what what Hamilton Hamilton's greatest achievement among many greatest achievements is giving a platform to the world's most talented and not just the original cast, right? Like that was fifty people or whatever or less, like that have gone on to big roles and huge stuff, and DeV Diggs is on Snowpiercer and like Chris Jackson's on a ton of stuff, and like everybody's populating out throughout the universe. But think of the following cast—the cast I saw, even the the original cast member um, Debose, whose first name I forget—the Bullet, the one who plays the Bullet, and we hmm. can talk about the Bullet in a second. Yeah, is now playing a, a major role in, in the West Side Story movie. So, like the the seeds that grow from Hamilton, and then the traveling casts, like the. There were casts before COVID shut it all down. Like Matt and I were going to go see Hamilton in Los Angeles in August. Like, so the traveling cast, like the, the, the seeds that are growing from this one cast are so phenomenal and so profound. And also just like being like, Hey, Broadway, fuck you, anyone can play any role. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Uh, having grown up watching a lot of white roller skaters in Starlight Express uh, I feel very strongly about this and I'm so excited and like that is for all the, well anyway, we'll get to, that's my thing. So we'll get to it in a second. Anthony. Yeah. Hey,
1: Ariana Du Bois. Yeah. Yeah. She, the played, bullet. she plays the bullet.
0: Talk talk to us about the bullet. Explain uh, the bullet. Uh,
1: the bullet. Um, Richard, did you notice the bullet?
2: Nope.
1: Okay. I
0: don't know what that's you're like talking about. That's like a sixth or seventh viewing thing. I do not
2: know what you're talking about. <laughs>
1: There is one actress in the movie, or in, yeah, well, I mean, on the, on the stage, who plays what's known as the bullet. And the reason it's called the bullet, she at the end of the play, at uh, the end of the musical, I don't know if I'm offending anybody by calling it a play. When Burr shoots Hamilton, there is a woman that goes through and looks like she's pinching the bullet. And then she slowly travels towards Hamilton as the progression goes through. Okay. Several times throughout the movie, she plays the bullet and it's almost a harbinger of death. She hangs out with and dances right near Lauren's right before he dies in South Carolina. She plays, uh, she, she's always in the scene when there's a duel. She's very active. Okay. And anytime, uh, I believe anytime Hamilton and Burr are in an argument, she's there to foreshadow the end.
2: Huh.
0: Okay. It's, it's amazing. So she's
2: you, one of the chorus members. Yeah, yes. The ensemble.
0: Oh, the, yeah. the ensemble cast. Yeah. Incredible.
1: She is the brown lady with the big poof in the front of her the, hair.
2: Yes. Yes. Yeah.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah. Gorgeous woman. I'm glad she's on stage as much as she is. And she, just pay attention to her because she doesn't come out like, she comes out a few times as part of the ensemble and she's in the background, but anytime she's in the forefront, it's, it's foreshadowing. And it's this, it's, yeah. a, its like this extra third level message that you don't get until you know about it, and then all of a sudden you watch again. You're like,
0: "Oh, there it is! There yep. it is! She's right there! She's gonna!"
1: Oh, and that's—that's that's why you know.
0: There's a bullet that whizzes past Hamilton early when as he's, he's as just he's become riding. the right hand man. Right, yep. and she's the she's the bullet. Then like, yep. and that's the levels any good piece of art has. Like. 8000 levels that some are what the act the writer intended some are uh we bring to it with our own minds and some are just like just brilliant layers and that is one of my favorite favorite layers okay so my thing my thing i love is hamilton in the world right so and and i love thinking about this but the difference between when Hamilton was being written and when this was filmed and where we are now when we're watching it is one of the most unbelievable spans of time because he started writing this in 2008, right at the start of the Obama administration when let's just say there was some sizable amounts of optimism in our lives. Mm. Uh, you may remember it from a decade ago. Uh, <laughs> And anything there was a for a population of America, it felt like anything was possible. Now we have, of course, learned that that was like a somewhat of a naive and facile view. But uh, we we were optimistic, right? And this musical is infused. If you were writing a musical over the eight years of the Obama administration, this is what you would write. It is infused with optimism and possibility about politics, even the downsides, right? And then. To be watching it, let's just simplify and say we're watching it four years later from when it was filmed, even right. To it, Hamilton, the Hamilton cast has very much been at the forefront. When Pence came to see the play, they made a big speech about like uh, love is love is love, and yep. please go fuck off. But n- better,
2: I, I, oh, and oh, yeah, I remember that because all yeah. the tweets about how it was so disrespectful. Right. Yeah. And you know what was
1: disrespectful? Yeah. It was him leaving halfway through the the performance and not finishing it. Yeah.
0: So if you then, can't stand to be told um, off,
1: do you really need to be vice president? I'm just saying.
0: Yeah. <laughs> You're never gonna be president. Okay. So uh one last thing, do worry about uh okay. So but then now the reappraisal of Hamilton in twenty twenty where what seemed revolutionary at the time, which is having an all people of color cast playing these white slave owning founders, went from being like a, the, what we thought of it at the time as revolutionary to realizing like it's still just portraying, it's still not telling black and brown stories on Broadway the way that should be told, right? And so the difference between four years when they taped it and now. there has been, like, some really thoughtful reappraisal. And it was, believe me, it was present at the time. Like, there's a playwright, a very famous playwright in New York called Ishmael Reed, who wrote a play that was a parody. uh, And and not even, like, a parody, but it was, like, an actor played Lin-Manuel Miranda sitting on the stage and, like, getting all the actual facts about slavery and the Revolution and Hamilton and all this stuff. Like, the the Schuyler family-owned slaves. Like, hello, a lot of them. And so George Washington, you know, they they reference it, but they you know, there's a lot of criticism about how they don't talk enough about slavery or, and and it's both valid but also like, dude, you're covering like one guy's life. The answer to right. Did this art cover enough of what I wanted it to is we need more art to cover more things. That's my <laughs> right. personal philosophy and and to me, I'll never let go of the fact that Hamilton so opened the door for Everything that will come... And remember, it takes 10 years to write a musical. Like, on average, it takes 10 years. So from the moment Hamilton hit the stage to 2025, let's say, in 2025, you are going to see amazing work. And it's already out. It's already out there. But, like, the wave. The wave is a 10-year delay on what Hamilton will have inspired and made possible. So I remember... I'm going to soapbox a little, and I'm sorry. I remember (laughs) when Rent came out. I was uh, high school, and then I finally saw it early in my college years and could not have been a more New York play, musical. Uh, Jonathan Larson, huge, phenomenal hit, and then it it didn't age well at all, right? You watch Rent on... um, when it was on, uh, they did it live on one of the TV channels. I guess Fox, and yeah, there were just parts that were like, "Oh God, like, please just stop whining." Well, and, and it, it was funny because
2: yeah. I, I watched that, and I had never seen Rent, and I decided, okay, you know what, I, I I should at least say that I've seen it, so I watched that, and then I also watched the movie, which was panned pretty oh, universally. Yeah, it was not good. Uh, yeah but it had Diggs in it so you know i kind of had to watch it but
0: it it i
2: when i saw rent i felt like when when you're saying it didn't age well a lot of it i think was that first of all a lo- a very small percentage of people nationally yeah. or 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 let's say even globally um now that's probably less accurate globally but nationally felt um the pain and the loss that that play that that musical was trying to express yep. so it's and we're so far from that now it because the i i mean this is a ridiculous thing to say but you know we're we're at the point where okay you have hiv that's awful here's this drug it'll take care of it for the rest of your life
0: mhm and that was not the case first of all that was not the case in the 80s by any stretch it was hmm. we could have a whole podcast about how horrific that experience was and how devastating that was and it was in the 90s when rent came out was being written and came out it was concentric circling out to finally other populations. And so people really started to, I mean, shamefully really started to pay attention in the way that they were, uh, unable to do in the eighties when it was affecting the gay population. Um, not exclusively, but it was perceived as exclusively. Right. And so rent's moment rent is stuck right now between its moment of, profound relevancy at the time and the moment where it will be profoundly relevant as a historical slice of time <laughs> in the past. Right. It's stuck in the awkward middle. Right. Hamilton is still very much in this profound influencing, but it is four years into its awkward phase. Right. And so you're mm-hmm. just starting to see the hints mm-hmm. of like not reappraisal in a I mean, there is a lot of ish reappraisal, right? And wanting to, you know, bag on Lin-Manuel Miranda because he's basically like a human eye sparkle puppy dog, right? And because he's not really this or he's not really that or he said the N-word in an audio book or like, everybody wants to like bag on people at the top of their creative game and that's fine, like they can take it. But um, I thought after four years at age, pretty well. Like There wasn't a lot of cringy in it for me because I just acknowledged all the things that are acknowledgeable about it. Do you know what I mean? Right. I don't know. Well, uh, I
2: I think the other thing, I mean, just from a subject matter perspective, like, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, this is something that uh, many people probably barely knew about this person who was one of the founding fathers. Um, you know, they, I, before I watched this, I couldn't have told you like what Hamilton's role was. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that he was Secretary of the Treasury. I had no idea. He's on a bill. I could t- probably couldn't have told you what bill. Yep. He's you a ten
0: dollar founding father without a father.
2: <laughs> and and so like the I think just the fact that while you're watching this, you're also kind of remembering a lot of history and, and learning some history makes this, you know, besides the immediate cultural uh, implications of the musical and, and the, the even more now relevant of the rise up refrain and, and things like that. There's just so much going on that, I feel like people can kind of glom onto that. If if you're a U.S. citizen, I don't understand how you just, this just doesn't catch you.
0: Yeah. Anthony thoughts.
1: I have two. One, it may not surprise you. It might, it would surprise me if it surprised you. I knew who the (laughs) hell Hamilton was because of my fascination with the Reynolds pamphlet. As soon as I heard about that in like eighth grade, I was like, "That's really? my dude. That's my dude." He put everything out there and said, "Here's the truth," and it was more blasphemous than the than what they had thought it was wrong. I I love that. I think that's one of the the classic moments of American history that gets overlooked far too often. The fact that he was he was he would rather be shamed and. Uh, uh uh completely ignored because of what he did then people think he had done something else that he didn't do mm-hmm. like mm. you know I, I, they just that, that that probably has affected my life one, more than once uh,
0: that's so funny <laughs> i never learned about the reynolds pamphlet like i went to a good school and i didn't learn about it
1: mm.
2: Yeah, I don't remember that at all.
1: Yeah, we had we had, we had I mean, excerpts of it in one of my schools. I don't remember where. I think it might have been in Indiana, but I'm not sure. Interest. But, I mean, we lived right outside a town called Lafayette, so, mm, you know, there. things happen. <laughs> uh, the second thing is that Hamilton, the overall story of Hamilton, the problems that they're having in the government, the problems that they're having with forming things, of deciding things and how things work, and the struggles that people are having in order to past good ideas because there are people with conflicting ideas of self-interest is the biggest byline throughout history. And Hamilton, in um, Lin-Manuel Miranda's own words, it is the story of America then represented by America today. And I... I really feel that if there's an America tomorrow, it'll still represent America tomorrow because Mm -hmm. the, the through lines here, the, the political intrigue and the problems and the selfishness and the self concern, all of that, the, 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 the party system, that's not going away, but at least now we have Hamilton represented by, the America's population today, the way that America's population wasn't represented back in 1780,
0: 1790. I like that. That's very eloquently put. Okay. So we've been at this for an hour. My asthma's kicking up. Um, do we have any final thoughts and have we missed anything big that we should be talking about?
2: I have one more question. Yes. Uh-oh. Why was Hamilton so put off? by Washington's admiration for him so much so that he referred to him as son.
0: Well, he was in a bit of a temper <laughs> at that moment. So I think uh he calls uh Hamilton uh, Washington calls Hamilton son in other parts of the musical. Right. And it's fine. But, <laughs> right. This is like you're not my dad. But that's right. that, that right.
1: was the why? one time that because Washington was was That's right after the the Ten Dual Commandments. Yeah. That's right after... He's in a mood. Yeah, that's right after uh, Hamilton had done something against Washington. So, Washington's basically coming down on him. Like, you're doing things wrong. And when you do that and then call him son, it starts bringing in the fact that his father left when he was like four years old and and just split and went away. And it starts bringing that in. Can we just
0: have... I, I, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but we just have to have a moment of appreciation for Chris Jackson, who played Washington. Oh, yeah. Um, because this musical, like, he he's an anchor. He's yep. like an anchor of this yep. musical. And I didn't want to, like, I could tell you, like, a, an amazing thing about every member of this cast and how great they are. But I feel like he got left out and he should not have been left out because of his quality, of his voice, of his character, of just his, like, you just plant him in a scene and the scene works.
1: Yep. Yeah, and absolutely. He, he's also the actor that found out that he was going to be in Hamilton by being told he was going to be in Hamilton. Yeah. In, like,
0: in the middle of a performance of In the Heights, yeah. by the way. <laughs> like, uh, which we didn't even get to talk about In the Heights. And we'll we'll have to do a, a podcast next year because you know that um, Lin-Manuel Miranda's first musical, In the Heights, was supposed to come out this year uh, in the movie theaters, big filmed production of it. And... Uh, it got bumped, and so they released this instead. This was supposed to come next year. So they, they gave us something to hold on to in the midst of this pandemic, which I think was really great. Yeah. Um, final thoughts? Anyone else? Anyone else? Going once, going twice.
2: Uh, All right. I, yeah, I'm oh, good. This yeah. Is, I'm, I'm so glad we did this. And I know I would have eventually seen it. I would have eventually watched it, but I wouldn't have jumped on it like... I did had we not made the decision to get together and talk about it like this. And uh, so I'm really glad that Anthony, I believe it was you, had uh, suggested that we kind of break out of our mold and talk about things other than thrones. Yes.
0: And we are going to continue to do so uh, when the occasion arises. So check this space soon.
1: Now, keep in mind, this is the last thing I'll have before we get out of here. I have promised our people on Patreon that the three of us will have a conversation once a month, whether or not that's about something Ooh. big or if it's just a conversation.
0: Okay. Don't make I'm me game. a liar. All right. No. Once no. a month works for me. We can do uh, that. And uh, if people want to suggest things for us to talk about, what should where should they go?
1: Well... We're just sticking with the old classic, let's talk about thrones at gmail.com.
0: <laughs> and you can just put as your subject header, not. Right. Uh, and that'll, that'll, that'll let us know. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think we all miss talking to each other was the bottom line. Yes, like, I think that's what it is. Yeah. So let's just invent a reason. Oh, I do we have things to plug? Because I have a thing to plug. Oh, you should totally do that then. Yeah. So... Randomly, in the early stages of the pandemic, one of the symptoms of the pandemic uh, that was not the actual symptoms uh, was how much Matt and I missed going to Disneyland. Mm. And we are unexpected people who came to Disneyland late in life because we just weren't didn't have the opportunity to go that much as kids. And so for us, it's an adult thing. And we miss it so much that we did a podcast called Let's walk about Disney where, Whoa. Yeah. We, it's a secret podcast and nobody knows about cause we didn't tell anybody. We did it just <laughs> for like uh, a couple of our friends who we've been with and it's like six or seven episodes or something. And you can find it wherever you find podcasts and just listen to us as we, we in our, cause like the backstory is, is that in my, like when I was having trouble falling asleep in the beginning of the pandemic, I would walk around Disney in my mind. I would just walk and look because I have a spatial visual memory. And so Matt, I told Matt about this and he was like, well, describe it to me. We we're on the beach one day with our little masks on. And uh, I did. And then he was like, you should record that. And we did. And so we have a very janky. We recorded it only on our phones. We didn't do any production value. Uh, you'll hear it. It's hilarious. And it's called Let's Walk About Disney.
2: That. It is so wonderful in so many ways.
0: And there's a whole season (laughs) one, and I'm sure there will be a season two at some point.
2: Oh, don't (laughs) tease us like that, because I still have episode one of season three of Cheers sitting in my Apple TV Plus nag list.
0: That's next. (laughs) That's next. All right. Anyone else have anything they want to share?
2: Yeah, I I just, I'll plug the usual stuff. I'm continuing along with a couple of podcasts that I do. And I want to promote the other show that I do, which I don't usually talk about that much, called The Smart Home Show. This is a, a show that I co-host with Adam Justice. He is a CEO, and, uh, a CEO and founder of a smart home company. And we kind of look at the tech and smart home space from the different perspectives of me as a product guy and consumer and him as a product manufacturer and company. Mm. And we have some good, interesting conversations. It's, it's not as specific as the kind of stuff that I do on my other show.
0: Awesome. As someone who just bought a ring cam or a nest cam, I think it was a nest cam. Uh, after being robbed or almost robbed or kind of robbed and then we got it back. I'm very interested in this. Awesome. Anthony, what do you got?
1: Just go to ritualmisery.com. You'll see all my stuff there. All right. I'm occasionally on DTNS.
0: Thank you all for listening to this episode of Let's Not Talk About Thrones where we did talk about Hamilton. And uh, uh, may you all out there always be satisfied.